Exodus, and our new, our new sermon series, Exodus, how God draws us out to draw us in. This is going to be a three-part message, and there's just so much to talk about, but I'm trying to narrow it down just to get into three messages. I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 1, which I say that because I'm old. Nobody really carries the Bible anymore. It's either on their phone or they're watching it overhead. Exodus chapter 1, 12 through 14, and then chapter 2, 23 through 25, reading from the message. The Bible says, but the harder the Egyptians worked them, the more the children, the Israelites, or the more children the Israelites had children everywhere. The Egyptians got so they couldn't stand the Israelites and treated them worse than ever, crushing them with slave labor. They made them miserable with hard labor, making bricks and mortar and back-breaking work in the fields. They piled on the work, crushing them under the cruel workload. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 and 20 through 25, many years later, the king of Egypt died. So in your, your version, it might say that there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. It was a different Pharaoh. So many years later, the king of Israel died, and the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Their cries for relief from their hard labor ascended to God. God listened to their groanings. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw what was going on with Israel. God understood. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about desperation. What do you say we just take a few minutes and pray and let God talk to us? Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for the men and women that are in this sanctuary and those that are watching online. God, would you help us in the next few minutes to turn off our to-do list and everything that's coming up this, this coming week at, at our work or school or God, help us just to put our mind on pause for a few moments and focus on you. God, would you speak to us today? God, if you're the God of yesterday, today, and forever, some of the things you did in the past are your, your template. You do those things today, although the names and places have changed. God, your principles haven't. So would you help us to understand the power of desperation? In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The load has become too heavy. When the world has become siloed by sickness, the, world, the load has become too heavy. When a booming economy has been brought to its knees and doors are closed and dreams are broken and hope is lost, the load has become too heavy. When the unborn of those born long ago are left unprotected or left alone to suffer, I stand here with my shoulders haunched and my back aches, my heart is burdened and my brow furrow because the load has become too heavy. In moments like this, a word surfaces in my mind. In the chaotic seconds of each day, this word pushes way into my spirit. It's the word deliverance. We need to be delivered. We need someone to, to take a stand and declare with authority and power, let my people go. Where are those who won't settle for safety or slavery? Where are the men and women who won't take short excursions into freedom only to return to the chains of hate and anger? And bondage? Where are those who have not only experienced freedom but have the ability to lead others to taste its sweet flavor? I submit to you that bondage is common. 
Most of us are bound in some area of our life. Most of us spend a great deal of time and energy focusing on seeking deliverance from habits and sicknesses, relationships, the list goes on. And because bondage has become the cry and plea for deliverance, it's not uncommon. However, I believe the issue we face is that although the, the cry and the plea for deliverance is common, the lack of cooperation with deliverance is equally as common. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that we cry for deliverance, but deliverance is often messy. And deliverance is almost always accompanied by dilemmas that we must be willing to embrace and navigate in order to experience that freedom. I want us to be free, but I also want us to understand what we must do to be free. It isn't that deep into the narrative that we read today that the weight, the heavy weight of bondage is discovered. The load had become too heavy for the Israelites. 430 years of slavery, harsh slave masters had become harsher. The load for them had become too heavy. Long days in the hot sun, no breaks, no rest, no mercy. The account demonstrates another moment where the burden has become too difficult to carry and one's strong shoulders are stooped almost to the breaking point. I'm going to read just that last part of, the, of our second scripture for you. you don't have to put it up on a screen, so don't worry about it. Many years later, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned under their heavy slavery and cried out. Their cries, the Bible says, for relief from the hard labor ascended to God. God listened to their groanings. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw what was going on with Israel, and God understood. I don't have a bunch of time to deal with this, but God... <sighs> But the place God uses to rescue you can turn into a trap if you stay too long. Pastor, I don't know what you're saying. We don't have to go very far until we get to the last couple chapters of Genesis where we see the life of Joseph. Joseph lived for 110 years. If you follow his timeline, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He spent 11 years in the house of Potiphar and two years in prison. That would make him 30 years old when he began to work for Pharaoh. And, and when we actually look at Pharaoh, um, there's going to be seven years of, of plenty and seven years of famine. It was in the second year of famine that he went to send for his fathers and his brothers. That would make him 39 years old. So he was probably 41, I guess. So, so he was 110 when he died. Now, wait a minute. God's people got reprieve from famine for five years. But instead of understanding that it was a brief stop, they stayed there 66 more years. Joseph died. Then came a king of Egypt or a pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And for what should have been a five-year stop, they spent 430 years in it. How many of us are taking what God tries to give us for just a moment and we're trying to live there forever? What was meant to be a rescue is now turned into bondage, and you shouldn't have stayed there that long, but you got comfortable. See, the people he brought in for a season uh, can seduce you in destruction. If you try to elevate them into lifers when they were only there to teach you a lesson, too many of us are allowing temporary blessings to be our permanent abode, and you're miserable. You don't understand why things are going right, because God never told you you're supposed to live in Egypt. Thank you. <laughs> But I want you to see that this first deliverance dilemma, this is the dilemma. Deliverance requires desperation. Their cry for slavery came up to God, and God, the Bible said, heard their groanings. 430 years, that's a long time of bondage led to their desperate cry for help. See, deliverance requires desperation. 
David heard the defiance of a blasphemous giant and cries out in desperation, is there not a cause? What about Elijah? He throws down the gauntlet to a backslidden, lukewarm, apathetic people and challenges them. How long will you halt between two opinions? People who see the condition and situation and are moved by desperate desire for change. People who refuse to back down and accept what, is always, what has to always be like and always been. My question for you, church, is where is your desperation? I'm trying, brother. Thank you. you. I'm glad you guys are here. We're going to get you a microphone. <laughs> we have become too comfortable with the status quo. We have become too comfortable with just good enough. We have been comfortable with survival. We have been comfortable with less than. We settle for almost whole and almost free and almost well and almost revived and almost on fire. Where are those that cry out to God? Where are those that say, if we go, we may die, but if we stay here, we'll surely die? Where are those who press through the crowd desperate to get a hold and just touch the hem of his garment? Where are those who will sit, who will sit on the side of the road and refuse to stop crying out? Where are those who are being swallowed? For the last time of the waters of fear and anxiety and cry out for the hand to deliver. See, the deliverance dilemma is that we will most likely be delivered to the degree that we are desperate. Let me say it again. We will most likely be delivered to the degree, the degree that we are desperate. God, help us. Well, Pastor, I don't understand why I'm still here. Do you think they only cried out one time in 430 years? Probably not. But they got to a point that were so desperate that God says, I hear you. So could it be that we're in a situation we're in, not because God isn't good, not because he's not powerful, it's because we haven't reached a point of desperation. See, God help us to become soulmates with sickness. God help us to become satisfied with sadness and bedfellows to bitterness and best friends to brokenness. You must become more committed to deliverance than you are addicted to comfort. Is there any desperation evident in your life? I love when they ask the kids what they want. I want a cat. I want a dog. I was trying to like ask for a pony or ask them for anything. Well, what are you desperate for? Not what you kind of want. Say, like, God, well, if you would, if you don't mind, if you're not busy, like, like running the universe and everything. God's not hearing any of that. God responded. As soon as he heard desperation in the voice of the Israelites, God moved into action. See, it, if there's no evidence of desperation in our life, then there's most likely will be no evidence of deliverance either. See, the second deliverance dilemma is that we mistake despair and disappointment for desperation. That's a lot of Ds. We mistake despair or disappointment with desperation. Some people feel like that they're desperate, but they're really just full of despair and actually given up. Some people feel like they're, they're, they're desperate, but the truth is they're just really sad and their faith is dead and faith is dead. Some would say they're desperate, but they're really so filled with disappointment that they became bitter and, and negative, and now they play the victim. We, we know this is a dilemma because those who have made this mistake of confusing despair and disappointment for desperation, they won't do anything. They won't take action, make no changes, adjust nothing. How can you spot, I'm going to give you some cheat codes, how can you spot a person who is confused despair or disappointment for desperation? 
when they won't do anything. Do you want to be free? Come to worship. No, no, no. I just need to be by myself. Hey, you want to be free? Find a connect group. No, no, I don't have time for that. Hey, you want to be free? Change your spending habits. No, no, I need this. Hey, you want to be free? Hey, go walking. No, no, I'll just sit here like I have been for the last four years. See, the children of Israel weren't desperate because they couldn't stay where they were. They were desperate because they knew they shouldn't stay where they were. See, you... Some of us are waiting where it gets so bad we can't do it anymore. They could have stayed there as long as they want, but they realized they shouldn't be there. Why? Because they're slaves. That's one thing. But also they had a promise. They were never, God, God was going to bless the children of Israel. Everything you see, just walking in direction, it's yours. It was never supposed to be Egypt. Why? They had a promise. You see, it's time to move to desperate. Don't give up and don't wallow. Instead, let what you're bound and propel you to cry out again for, for forgotten and delayed promises. Could you imagine? What would our generation look like if we did the next 430 years and it never went to church? What would our people be like? How many promises would our kids have forgotten? See, most people have settled they got a routine, their calendar's comfortable, but I just want you to remember it can be different. I want you to recall the promise because I want you to become desperate for what is supposed to be rather than what you convinced yourself is good. Too many people are living below what God wants them or wants for them because they are happy with um, what's good, but they forgot about what's supposed to be. So don't get confused. Thank you, sis. I like that last minute, Amy. I love that last People, people look at me like, like, Pastor, what's wrong? You sad? You thinking? No, because I know this message is going to be hard to swallow. I, I'm not in bondage, Pastor. Sure you are. Sure you are. You're just really good at camouflaging. Every one of us deal with something. And we deal with it to the point that we actually just make it part of our family. Oh, I always have this depression. I always have this anxiety. I always have this addiction. I always have this. I'll just live with it. I know this message is hard to swallow. But see, you can stay here. You can be satisfied with this. But I want you to remember there's more. There's a promise of more. See, desperation must overtake despair. Your desperation needs to overtake your disappointment. It, it, it also must displace despondency and overtake the delinquency. See, we get, we had, we had dis- we're, we're despaired, and, and we get disappointed, and, and then, you know, people start missing the delinquency. See, I want you to become desperate for God, and you expect him, and you expect to see him move because you're actually seeking him. You can also tell when somebody is basically just disappointed. They're, just, they're not desperate yet. They're just disappointed, and they're dealing with despair because they don't expect God to move at all. Well, see, desperation is born in hope. You can't be desperate if you have no promise. Hope is what calls us to fight for freedom. It's the promise that there's more than, than this that forces us to fight. But see, notice that when we are moved to desperation, God is moved to action. God does not care about your complaining. God does not care about what you want him to do while you live with what you're not supposed to live in. Could it be, could it be, this is not in the Bible, we're just speculating now. Could it be that the children of Israel just really wanted reprieve but continue to live in Egypt? Could it be 
that are saying, God, I just want to have it really easy in a spot I'm not supposed to be, and God didn't pay attention. It wasn't until they got desperate to get out that God actually heard. Now, if I was a meddling preacher, I would say, you've been asking God to get you comfortable where you're not supposed to be. You're basically trying to convince God to accept your, what your, your sin or whatever's going on in your life. And God said, I don't want to hear any of that. I'm not going to listen until you want to get out. It was when the people remembered what had been promised that God recalls his covenants and, and, and responds. It's time to remember the promises so that hope will rise in us again. Do you know the promises of God? But let me give you a few. Maybe hope will rise. I'll give you a few. He promised that we could have life and life more abundantly. He promised that we could be healed and that we could be whole. He promised us joy unspeakable and full of glory. He promised us that our children who have been trained up would not depart from teaching. He promised us that we would be blessed going in and coming out. He promised us that every voice that rises in accusation would be silenced. He promised us that the dry bones of our dreams could live again. All those promises... Do you have any hope today? So I see people that are angry. I see people who are frustrated. I see people who are fed up. I just don't see many people who are so filled with hope that it dries in the crowd in desperation. That's the hard part. When everything's going wrong, how do you have hope? I don't feel anything, Pastor. I know. But I said it before. If you took the shirts off the, the backs of the men as well as the women that were in slavery for 30 years, they wouldn't even look human. They were beaten so bad. And they cried out for 430 years. And you're upset because you didn't get your raise. Someone bumped your fender. You're, you're mad because someone didn't shake your hand. You're, you're mad because you got looked over for a promotion. You want to give up on everything and all hope is gone. These people were beaten. I got kids in here, but I'll tell you what, you can just imagine how the women were treated. I'll let you fill in. Could you imagine that? Mm. See, we know that the, the most people are not filled with this kind of hope because they're asking government or politicians or doctors to solve it. Only God can. We aren't desperate until we return to placing our hope in the one who can fix this. We aren't desperate until our hope is fixed on him and him alone. God knows when we're desperate, and he sees it. I was going through my, my notes of stories, and I come across one of, was the vice president for Fiji Bank. He was in his office in the South Tower um, in the World Trade Center when the phone rang. Are you watching the news, asked the woman in the Chicago office. Are you all right? I'm fine, he says, wondering why she had called. And just then he turned to gaze out the window with the Statue of Liberty like he has always done, like his daily routine was, and the surreal sight of a low-flying commercial jet headed straight for his tower disrupted his view. He dropped the phone in mid-sentence and dove to the floor. Curling under his desk, he began praying to God, Lord, help me, he prayed, desperately as the aircraft smashed into the tower. The smell of jet fuel was in the air. Equipment was scattered all around with rubble covering the floor and dust in the air. He began clawing his way out. Lord, I have to go home to my family, he wheezed. I have to see my daughters. Just then he saw a light. I'm here to help you. He thought, this is my guardian angel. The Lord sent somebody to help me. Stanley was the man's name, and his guardian angel was a man named Brian Clark, a Christian who was the executive three floors below. 
the two miraculously climbed out of the rubble to safety. And Stanley said, my Lord has some unfinished tasks for me. Now listen to what he did. He says, I took the tattered clothes I was wearing on 9-11 and put them in a box and wrote deliverance all over it. It even gets better, bro. Then Stanley told his wife, if I ever get spiritually cold, I want you to bring me this box and open it up and show me what God brought me from. Man, where are your boxes? So when you feel like giving up and you've lost hope and it seems like despair is a place of desperation in your promise, where is your box that's labeled deliverance? Where is your box of what God has done for you in the past that you can open it up and see just how good God is? I hope it doesn't take a 9-11 type tragedy in your life to realize God's promises and his faithfulness in your life. I was reading it this morning. I was like, man, I'd love to give a box like that to Nora. I love the fact. Why did Stanley give it to his wife? Because when you lose hope and get cold, even though the box is there, you're not going to open it yourself. Mm. You need someone in your life that's man enough or woman enough that you trust enough to get in your face and say, look what God has done. Get off your behind and stop acting like that. Change your face. You're a child of God. Look what he's done for you. Because we're going through that, we will not do it. We will cower and we'll forget and we'll try to be closed off and we'll go to our cave. You need someone in your life that can grab you by the shirt collar and say, look, where is your box? Slavery, deliverance. How does God draw us out to draw us in? Those were God's people for every year, every day of those 430 years. But God says, until you get desperate... Until you experience desperation and cry out to me because you not only want to leave there, but you want to receive my promises, then now heal. Then I'll hear. I want you to understand, and I'm, I'm not going to be long, I'm already done. Too many of us are just going through the motions. For those that, those that know me well, I do not have a, um, a sugar coat on much of what I say. I just tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I wish I could have about 10 minutes one-on-one, but I don't think you'd come back. I want you to say, God has so much more for you. Stop acting like that. Will you stop putting anything and everything above him? Will you, will you please realize how blessed you are? Will you please look around and look at your beautiful family and God's taking care of you every single day? Will you please stop letting little trivial stuff that you'll forget by the end of the year cause you to miss out with God? Will you please man up or woman up? And will you please stop acting like a child? But most people wouldn't come back if I said that, sis, so I won't do that. But we act like that. Well, how do you know, Pastor? Because I act like that. You think I'm impervious to this? You think, you think that it doesn't affect me? You think life only hits y'all? But you need to find a box. And you need to give somebody else permission to open it and show you. 
Why? Because when we go through it, do we want to pray? Nope. When we go through it, do we want to go to church? Absolutely not. When we go through it, do we want to read the Bible? Pfft, don't even think about it. And it usually takes, look what God has done. If you don't believe me, go back and read the Psalms. David, it says, he's encouraged himself in the Lord. David used to always go back and replay what God had done for him when he was in a dark place. But most of us aren't like David. We can't replay it back very well ourselves. We need somebody else to do it for us. Pastor, I want all that God has for me. Good. Get desperate. Pastor, how much do I got to pray? I don't care how much you pray. Get desperate. Well, Pastor, what, what, what should I do? What kind of Bible? I don't care what kind of Bible you have. Get desperate. Well, Pastor, what would I got to Desperate. Stop. Stop being so religious and just get desperate. God, I want everything you have for me. God, whatever I need to do, to do. if you need to move me, you know, I'm not saying physically, but you know, emotionally or mentally, move me, change me, whatever it is. God, where have I gotten comfortable that I was never supposed to be? God, where have I put up permanent residence what was only meant to be a five-year stop? God, where am I living that is not in any of your promises? God, what am I settling for that was never your plan? God, would you please help me? I do not want to... See, we act like this life's going to... If I live another 44 years, 88 years, that's... I don't want to waste my entire life just trying to get a house and in a car, take care of the kids and, and get life insurance. Man, I want everything God has for me. I will feel terrible in eternity. You wasted your life on stuff that doesn't matter and nobody cares about. I want to get desperate. So as you stand with me, where's the desperation in your life? If we had a desperation detector in this building, would it go off? You know, you have two alarms pretty much in every house. It should be a smoke alarm. And in the, what's the one right next to it? Carbon monoxide. Why is that? It's deadly. It's colorless. It's odorless and tasteless. You fill the entire room with enough carbon monoxide to kill us all. We wouldn't know it until we fall over. I wonder, I might not be able to see your desperation. I wonder if there was a desperation alarm would even go off. If we brought one close to our life, would we even move the scale? Or what about a comfortable detector? I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I want what God has for me and my family. And don't think that always means moving. Every time a pastor says that, like, oh, he's going to give up the church. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is if we're going to be here, man, let's have everything God wants for us. I don't want to settle. I don't want to be comfortable with less. Man. I definitely don't want to spend my entire life living outside the promise of God. What do you say? Think we can lay, raise our level of desperation? Can we raise it to the level 
that would cause God to take action. As Todd sings, would you find a place to pray?